this is the house call. Welcome back to the Formula One podcast. This is House Call Sports, and we are giving a review of the previous race weekend. That was at Miami, the Miami Grand Prix. And we have an affiliate link now. We are associated with the Formula One store. Hey, so we have an affiliate link that's posted down in the description. So if you pick up any merch, use our link and it'll help the podcast out. It'll make Joel and Ollie happy. And I'm going to share my screen and we're just going to take a minute just to check out what the Formula One store looks like if you haven't been there because it actually has some really, really cool stuff. This is our link. You go there, it'll take you right to the Formula One store. You can shop by team. You can shop by driver. You can even shop by previous legendary drivers like Ayrton Senna. Uh, who do you want to pick, Ollie? Let's just give an example. Let's go to distract us from his pain in Miami. Let's go Charles Leclerc. Charles Leclerc, yeah. All right. So I've seen him wear this all the time, so that's pretty cool. Uh, I've been thinking about getting one of these and putting it on my bookshelf because I kind of collect those things. That would be nice. Isn't that cool? They have a bunch of them. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, if you use it, we get a small, small kickback helping the show out. So, uh, you know, pick up your piece of merch and consider helping the podcast. One last thing. I picked this sweatshirt up that I was wearing last show. Oh, no, it's not going to show it. <laughs> I didn't think this through. Well, this invisible piece of merch. There we go. Oh, you got it there. Hey, because that has to emulate me go. wearing it. Yeah. Well, I, I just wanted to say, like, I'm a clothes person. I don't do the fast fashion and I spend money on like good sweaters and stuff. And this surprised me with how good quality it is. I don't think the camera is going to be able to pick it up, but it is like nice and thick. It's warm. Uh, I got compliments on it and I never get like compliments, you know? And so um, people Shows were like, hey, that's a nice hoodie. Items from the F1 star. <laughs> Seriously, like that's a real recommendation. I think the the quality is really up there. So, uh, you know, consider shopping for your favorite favorite stuff. All right, let's get into it. So, um, maybe we can get some graphics up on the screen. I don't want to ask too much of the editors because we at House School Sports are putting out all your best content, and the editors are working like absolute mad to try to keep up with this content. But um, I'm just gonna verbally read out. Uh, you know the the all the drivers where they qualified in order of their qualified and their starting grid and then where they finished and maybe we can get some you know chatter going about some of these so uh so perez qualified first finished second there's a lot to talk about between perez and max alonso qualified second finished third science qualified third finished fifth magnuson qualified fourth a big shake up in the grid right and finished 10th which i feel like that's pretty good for him uh gasly qualified fifth finished eighth russell qualified sixth finished fourth leclerc qualified seventh finished seventh given that you know we've seen a little better out of leclerc in previous weekends i think uh there's a little bit to talk about there ocon qualified eighth finished ninth verstappen qualified ninth Tore up the absolute, <laughs> tore up all, the whole grid and finished first. Botas qualified 10th, finished 13th. Albin qualified 11th, finished 14th. Hulkenberg qualified 12th, finished 15th. Hamilton qualified 13th, 
made his way all the way up to 6th. Zhou qualified 14th, finished 16th. De Vries qualified 15th, not too bad for him, finished 18th. Norris, I cry the biggest tears for McLaren right now, qualified 16th out in Q1 and finished 17th. <laughs> Tsunoda qualified 17th, finished 11th. Stroll qualified 18th, finished 12th. Not too bad for him, but it's a really good car, so I think there's stuff to pick out there with Stroll. Piastri qualified 19th, finished 19th, and Sargent qualified 20th, finished 20th. Very sad for Sargent being his hometown race. Grew up, what was it, 20 miles from the racetrack, even though it was a new track for him, but he was certainly hoping to do better than that for his hometown friends. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, there's always the pressure on, you know, you've got your family down there and what, I mean, I, I don't know if his family were there because the ticket prices and just the cost <laughs> yeah. to be at the event was absolutely extortionate. I wouldn't yeah. have, like, I said before, that's crossed the, like, just seeing all the stuff that was, like, how much they charged for stuff there and how much they paid to get in there, that's firmly crossed off of the list of races that I will ever go to unless I somehow inherit Elon Musk's net worth, but I don't think I will. It's so stupid because, I mean, so Lauren and I, my fiance Lauren, we're both into this, and we were looking at going to the Austin race up ahead because, uh, you know, she lives in Austin, and um, and it seemed like a reasonable thing to do, and I think Austin isn't quite as uh, much of a, a ticket price as Miami, but even still, it's like, looking at some of these US races, especially uh, Las Vegas coming up, it's going to be nuts. It it's literally it would be cheaper to fly to another country and pay and attend that race than to attend a race that's in our own backyard. <laughs> I don't yeah. understand. No, it's because they, they don't focus like that's the thing I think with America that they're maybe just getting a little bit wrong. They're focusing too much on trying to make everything like a grand spectacle, a massive show. Yeah. But then you've got your European races with like Hungary, which is the cheapest race to go to. That's just, you get there, three practice session, qualifying race, you go home. There's nothing like about it. There's nothing special. I mean, maybe if you're from Hungary, that's your home race. That's the one you, you go to every year. And that's the only reason that ever becomes special. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really wish it was more accessible. You know, we talked about last time, um, is this, you know, spectacle of the sport getting in the way of the heart of the sport? And I said both can exist. I... I um, yeah, I, I think that this race was a good race. I don't know that the spectacle got in the way of it, but there there was a whole lot of like, <laughs> this is odd. We don't really see this normally with any other race. This is a little unrepresentative of Formula One. <laughs> it's just trying to appeal too much to the American market. Because you have things like the Super Bowl, like the yeah. MLB and the, the NBA Finals and stuff like that. And, mm -hmm. and all those like, yeah, it's a sports game, but they're all interested as well as bringing the show to the event, which is what F1, I think, has tried to do a little bit too much, especially with the driver introductions. Now, I actually liked when they did it in 2017 at the Circuit of the Americas. I didn't mind that, but that's because they didn't try to make it a massive, like, where well, yeah, there they are, like, you know, just put yeah. a lot of effort into it. They're just like, all right, well, there you go. They even had Michael Buffer doing it, and that, that just made it immediately better. But yeah. for this, I think they just put too much, like, unnecessary effort into it they had a lot of people there who had no idea what they were doing there and yeah that obviously it just takes away from it yeah that's kind of it's, yeah 
uh, Will I Am and LL Cool J. <laughs> Two names that you directly associate with Formula One racing. Introducing the drivers, <laughs> conducting an orchestra, which I, I, honestly the orchestra part was pretty cool. <laughs> that was neat, but that was nice. Yeah, it was a little, it was a little awkward. I think a lot of people um, were cringing when they were watching that. I think that there's an appropriate level. I think that you know the sport moving to the U.S. Uh, and and adding few races in the U.S. I think trying to appeal to the U.S. audience, it's kind of finding itself. It's like still figuring like we are with this podcast there's like different feels each podcast and we're just kind of finding our voice i think that that's how the races are um developing in the u.s and i think that it'll come down to like it'll settle down to a natural natural point um i was gonna suggest we watch and cackle at some of these introductions as like a 10 or 15 second <laughs> clip but i don't know that i want to watch it again <laughs> i don't think i want to subject anybody to that Oh, no, it was especially when they they took the piss out of Yuki Tsunoda. <laughs> Did you hear what they said what? about him? Oh, I I didn't. It, hear. it was something it like that. he's small oh, in sure. stature but big yeah. in character. Yeah, they just called him a midget. What sort of introduction is that? <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, he's the shortest, smallest man on the grid. But <laughs> it's like damn. not that he's a multiple F two race winner or anything. No, right? No, no, no. he's a midget. They yeah. go out. <laughs> <laughs> what was all that yeah. about? That's just. They were scraping yeah. the barrel, I think, for some of them, to, to, for things to say, because they just tried too hard again, to try too hard to make it a spectacle and came up with things that had absolutely nothing to do with the race and the drivers. It just ended yeah. up looking weird. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's hope that next year they adjust yet again and find something different. Um, okay, so, so despite the spectacle, I want to lead off with, was this a dull race for you? In terms of like in comparison, when you compare it to some of the better races we've had, especially even this year, yes. But does it need to be an exciting race? I don't think so. We knew what we were getting into with Miami. We had last year to go as a reference. It wasn't an exciting race last year. I don't know why people were expecting a, a, any different this year. It went. It, it, it was the same as back. To be honest, it went exactly as I expected. I did not expect Max to win. I will give him that. I yeah. didn't expect that to happen. I thought Perez would have won, or maybe even Alonso. I was hoping Alonso. But now I've learned to never set my expectations too high for races that are categorically boring. And not to say that they're boring in terms of because there was some good racing eventually once things got going. But now it was like it was what I referred to as Ferrari last year. It was controlled chaos. It was like a lot of moves were happening, but people knew what they were doing. They weren't really making any rash overtakes. There was no drama. There was no chaos. There was one little incident at the start, which was it. But now in terms of like racing, I didn't mind it, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I'm going to come down hard on this was a fun race. I think that it had a feeling of it being a little dull for a few reasons and I've been trying to think about why because I've been I mean I've been reading on forums and watching other you know videos and stuff reviewing this race and everybody's got a different opinion I think that it feels dull because there was so much potential for it to be madly exciting I think I mean there was a lot of talk leading up that we'd have no way of overtaking any driver and it would just be like ice cubes on you know on a sheet of ice if you go off the racing line somehow or another the track came together and that didn't happen amazing and allowed for so many overtakes in fact there was more overtakes in this race than any other previous race 60 is what i read 
60 overtakes this race, the most out of the season so far. So that's from a driving racing perspective, like that's really cool. Um, another thing that was, you know, going to make this, made expectations that this was going to be a super, super fun race was the grid was completely shaken up because Leclerc just nuked qualifying. <laughs> <laughs> And so we had Max in ninth, we had Checo in the lead. We had this narrative going in from Baku that there's gonna be like this Max Checo fight for World Driver Champion. We had Magnussen qualifying fourth, like all these weird things. And um, and I kind of expected that to make for like, uh, just like, I don't know, something insane. And I guess it did make for a lot of overtakes, but I think that expectations just because of a shaken up grid, was a, a little higher than maybe it should have been. Um, so that kind of settled down from like, you know, supreme excitement to, okay, yeah, it's, it's a race. <laughs> uh, and then the last thing that I was really, really excited about, like eyes wide open waiting for the moment was when Max was gonna pass George. Cause Max starting behind George after the scuffles that from the past and our, their, you know, their words after the race from last week it just uh made made me feel like there was going to be some contact but in the end george just let him pass because of course like that's not where his race is at like it wouldn't make no. any sense to wheel the wheel with max that car's faster no. yeah i didn't think there'd be anything deliberate from max to be honest because i don't think that was the tone of what he said because he did say oh yeah you expect it next time but i don't think he meant that when next time i'm going to be in a position to overtake you i'm going to deliberately turn into you and crash you off that sure, wasn't yeah. what he meant. It was just like, what he meant was, if it happens, it happens. But he's good enough to avoid incidents like that. And it didn't happen. So, no, it was it was pretty calm when Max's ended. I don't think a lot of people were expecting that. But I, I definitely was. I mean, you don't get into F1. You don't, it's, it's your life's work. And then you throw it all away with one stupid move. Why would you do that? Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, to follow up on that, I, you know, you guys are learning... I'm the plots master here. And by plots master, I mean, I loaded up some Python examples of this API and uh, and hit go, and they already were generated for me. Let me do this. Okay, so this is position changes during the race. That is more than I thought. <laughs> it's really cool to see, right? It might change opinion for how exciting this race is. I mean, I don't want to oversell it, but I've heard so much about how this was a rather dull race, and I, I think I strongly disagree. Oh, yeah, another thing that um, people, you know, have the opinion that it was a dull race that I think can be tossed aside immediately is there was no yellow flags, nobody hit each other, no cars on fire. <laughs> That's to be... Um, you shouldn't expect that stuff. Like racing is exciting for the racing, not for the fire. <laughs> and so, yeah, I think that we actually saw a pretty decent race. I had, I have no idea how the track came together to be able to pass people in in all kinds of places on the track. That was really cool to see. Um, let me compare this to the most boring position change race of the season thus far, which is Baku. And you see this flatline. I did a short on this recently. Just complete flatline for the second two-thirds of the race. And that's what made that race particularly boring. It's just, you know, everybody's kind of running their own lonely race. And passes aren't really happening. So I just had to toss that out the there. the safety car. And that, that's really right. what it was. I mean, there's a few 
exactly. And then even at the end there, the, where they dropped down severely, that was like just retirement and stuff like in the pits. Yeah. You never had any. There was yeah. a safety car once, but mm-hmm. then a- apart from that, it was like just nothingness. And it was the same kind of for Miami. No yellow flags, no retirements, which I get to finally cut this stat out because you you maybe spent all night last night okay. thinking about this. Hit us with it. My initial my initial thought would have been the 2021 Monaco Grand Prix. There was no yellow flags there, but there was obviously the sort of infamous retirement of Valtteri Bottas, and that still holds the record for the world's longest pit stop. But I did <laughs> think, I, I'm pretty sure I'm right with this, it's the 2019 Austrian Grand Prix. I'm okay. almost convinced that that was the last time it happened, and that was actually, in 2019, that was only the 11th time that okay. all 20 drivers had managed to, or like the full field had managed to cross the line at the end. Okay. Because normally there's some sort of chaos and stuff. But even, I think that race went to prove that even with no yellow flags and no safety cars, you can still have a damn good race. Because, oh my God, yes. Austria 2019, what a race that was. And that just shows you don't need chaos, just good racing. Okay. Are you, are you, could you give us like a little recap of that one? Jog our memory of what made that race exciting. Yeah, well, the only Austrian Grand Prix I can distinctively remember was 2020. But I I remember one, like, particular moment from 2019, which was a bit of a scrap between Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc, which eventually came to a head at around lap 63, 62, that sort of area, where Max went full-on Max mode. He tries to go down the inside. He was getting a little bit aggressive. He was getting frustrated and he, he launches it down the inside, completely forces Leclerc wide off track. There was a lot of contact. And that was sort of the focal point of, of that one. But besides that, I mean, there was nothing really. Hamilton had a pr- pretty bad um, qualifying on that day. I think he qualified fifth, which was completely like a bewilderment for him because that Mercedes. At the, time, yeah. the 2019 Mercedes, I think, was the most dominant one they had. And for him to be that far down the order as well with his teammate Bottas on pole, Ah, he was under a lot of pressure as well there. So he eventually had to to make some pretty rash moves up up the grid. But Verstappen, he wasn't really in a title-fighting Red Bull just yet. He could win races, and he had won races before that. He had a car good enough, but he didn't have a car good enough for a championship, and he still went for moves Mm -hmm. like that. So that was, I think, Mm -hmm. an early sign of just like what kind of driver he is. Not yeah. necessarily too rash, too aggressive, nothing like that. But yeah. like it was a future sign of things to come. And he's a pretty damn good racer, and he just showed glimpses of it back then as well. Yeah. Well, speaking of Max being a pretty damn good racer, my goodness. I mean, I was all aboard the Checo hype train, and I still love the guy. And I think that maybe there's future races that could change my mind again or something. But to me, this weekend really was a nail in the coffin of the narrative of Checo might beat Max. <laughs> I was all for it. I, I love shakeups like that. And um, Checo is just like we said last time, such a such an immediately lovable character. It's really easy to get behind him. And um, Max just kind of squashed that whole narrative. He was like, no, I am so much better of a driver. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I don't really think it buries the whole... Checo might win the championship. I don't think that's okay. completely dead because we're only what five races in, six races in now. I, I sure. can't remember the number. And Max is only leading the championship, I think, by 17, 18 points. So, and again, anything could happen. It's not that big of a gap. And there is machinery as well. So that's true. 
And it probably also should be acknowledged the the tire strategy. They were on opposite tire strategies, and it just happened. It seems like to have worked out in Max's favor. The tire strategy. I I also kind of think that that has you know credit where credits due. That has a lot to do with Max maintaining those hards. You know, he had a target lap in mind, and once they hit that, yeah, he wanted to make it last until I forget what it was, like lap thirty-eight or thirty something. And then you heard the radio call, you're free to push. And then he just took off, even on old hards. And I was like, how does he still have something left in those tires? He did an amazing job. I was almost expecting him to drag in the entire way and go onto softs <laughs> at the end. Yeah. But normally when you do that, uh, you don't really leave yourself much chance to gain the benefit of quicker tires. Yeah. And then eventually having to pass. Yeah. So I think he made the right call. And holy shit, did he make a good job of it. Yes, he did. Yeah. Uh, speaking of softs, there was only two drivers that started on softs in this race. Uh... <laughs> McLaren, man, what are you doing? What was every that? Every race, every week, I set my expectations so high, and every week they let me down. Yeah. Oh, it's so frustrating being a McLaren fan, but again, yeah, it's very rewarding at the same time. Like you sit through the low moments and then you get like yeah. some like miracle, which could again happen in Imola. Lando Norris has gone very well around Imola, two podiums in the yeah. last two races. But mm -hmm. are McLaren like any better off at this point this year as to where they were at this point last year when they did get a podium in Imola? No, I don't think so. I think that they're taking a step backwards, to be honest, and that car doesn't look like a, a car that can even challenge for points at times rather than podiums. Right, yeah, it's really disappointing as a McLaren fan. This is definitely a struggle period. And, I, you know, they were talking about updates, and I always try to reserve, you know, a little bit of excitement, um, you know, like don't get too excited when updates come. But it really did look like they took a step forward last race, last weekend, and then to see the performance this weekend... Um, Lando in an interview afterwards was kind of, it seemed defensive of the soft tire choice and said, I made up three places and then I got hit. And they said, what happened? And he said, Nick forgot to break, I think. <laughs> Which is kind of spicy, but also it's kind of fair. <laughs> and um, yeah, and then he kind of talked about like what they're specifically struggling with. And he said, hotter temperatures are not good for that car. Which is kind of interesting. I I, you know, aerodynamics dominates this and hotter temperatures means less dense air. I'm just trying to like think with my physics brain, like what, is there an immediate explanation or is there something more buried in data I don't have that explains what he said there? Um, so I don't know. Um, and because everybody uses a standard tire, so it's not like a tire compound heat, you know, same track, same tires. So it comes down to the aerodynamics of the car or something or cooling, maybe, I don't know. Um, and then the other thing that he said was like wide sweeping, like 180 degree turns are like, let me, let me, <laughs> he said, uh, 180 degree turns for us are finished game over. <laughs> those are, those are his words. And, um, then talked about looking ahead to Imola, like you're saying that they typically do, he typically does better there and it has a little bit more, you know, 90 degree corners. So I don't know, possibly we do see a big turnaround coming into Imola. That would be a relief for us McLaren fans because it's been painville for a while this season. God, I hope so. And from um, McLaren to their factory engine supplier Mercedes who are also expecting a massive turnaround at Imola. 
they basically Total Wolf has gone on the record in saying that in Imola they're planning a complete redesign of the car, which sees them ditch this whole no side pod bullshit that they've rocked for oh, the really? past year and a half. Yeah, they said that. I don't know if it's going to be a complete like, overhaul, as much as what I've been hearing, because they could very well rock up to FP1 and Imola with the same car. But they've yeah. been hyping this up so much since the start of the season, since testing, since they found out that they weren't going to be on it again. Yeah. And they said, okay, keep an eye out for Imola. That's going to be the main sort of shift we think. And they think, they seem to believe as well that there's enough time left for them to fight for the championship. I just think that's silly, to be honest. I don't think that, I think that enough has gone and they've been average for too long already in the season. And the, yeah. the Red Bull have just pulled further and further away. So they can't really do anything. Like, I don't think they could put a sizable dent into the championship for sure, but I don't think yeah. they can win it this year. Next yeah. year, if they get everything right, maybe. Who knows? Yeah, this no side pod thing, I think it's just become painfully clear that the way to go is the Red Bull design. And so, yeah, it's good to hear that they're actually considering. But with the cost cap, so you you know this better than me. So what falls under the cost cap? Do the, the engines under the cost cap or not? Yeah, yes, the entire like components of the car, that all has to be paid for under the cost cap. The okay. driver's salary has to be come under that, all the... You know, employees, their salaries all have to come under your transport to and from races, your like, catering at the races, your accommodation, all that has to come under a certain blanket. And the way they went over last year was comical. It was on catering. <laughs> it wasn't even yeah. like improving the car. It was just catering. They got like a Michelin star chef or something. I don't even know if they did. It was just a meme that was going around. But they well, went yeah. over by seven million dollars on food that's so insane <laughs> what's so, what's interesting to me is i don't know like you know when you're stacking up like okay we spent this much on this we spent this much on that like critical car components we spent this much on salary uh, why did the catering come as the category that pushed it over like was that because it was the last bill that was paid or is it because it was the most memifiable category to say that they went over on because like what <laughs> so that, like it, the, the fia reports the inquiries into the overspending actually came out and it did turn out that it was through catering oh okay and that's often why you see teams like say oh we have no more spare parts or we can't fix this part of the car we have to wait until next because you just can't afford it these yeah. parts are expensive like a front wing can cost one point like one million to fully develop and like produce, manufacture, and get on the car. Right. But no, you just, you need to, it's a, thankfully, it's a pretty big blanket that they have to keep everything under. But they yeah. just, seven million on catering. How yeah. do you do that? Unless you have Gordon Ramsay in the motorhome, I don't have any idea how you could go over by that. But it was very laughable. And it was funny to, to, to sit back and just watch them spend a lot on food. I don't know feeding them at Red Bull, but it might have worked. I think, yeah, I think they're feeding their drivers caviar or something at that point. Uh, yeah, interesting. Yeah, this cost cap thing, I, I'm kind of split on it, to be honest. Um, I think that it's great for competition with other teams. But one of the things that I love about Formula One is it enables this ultimate supreme, you know, previously uncapped vision of the ultimate car. And we no longer have that. So from like a technology standpoint, you know, like just throwing everything at it and you get to see peak car right now under certain regulations. Um, 
I, we don't we don't necessarily see that anymore. So that to me is kind of a loss. But I also love the idea of bunching up the grid and making real racing events. I don't mind that they've introduced it. They they, they did it without the the cost cap in the nineties, and you had Senna every race qualifying one point one seconds ahead of the entire field. It just gives you nothing to watch, and I, th- I like that. Is it working though? Because you still have the sort of similar gap between your Red Bull. That's and like what your I was going to say. and the Williams and the. Of the That's grid. exactly what I was going to say. Has it it's actually still achieved? Sort that? of the same. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's. There's a, I don't think it's getting anywhere, but it's still a good initiative to force to say, okay, they can't spend any more like a Mercedes or a Red Bull who have infinite amounts of money to throw at whatever they yeah. want. And then you've got the, the struggling teams that are in like the Haas who aren't doing well financially. They haven't been for years. And they want to know, like, okay, well, if they can spend so much, that's just unfair because they have, like, 10 times as much in the budget as we do. So why can't we all just be brought a little bit closer and we all get regulated on what we can and can't spend and how good we can make the car? So it definitely brings things a lot closer. And, of course, it would would be you to be saying that you you don't want it because of the technological aspects of the cars to see how well they can push them. Of course, that's you to say that. Well, I want one or the other. I want either uncapped and i watch just starry-eyed as this fan or i want the cost cap to be a hundred dollars and i'll enter (laughs) (laughs) we'll do pinewood derby cars and we'll see who wins then against christian horner huh uh yeah i i i think that there's a debate to be had i think um I think it hasn't fully accomplished what it set out to accomplish but i do see the intention and i'm willing to you know right along until things sort themselves out there's so many moving parts in this sport you know there's so many new regulations new technologies like everything is moving so fast that we never arrive at like you know dust being settled and peak anything for any moment like even weekend to weekend things will change dramatically it's so crazy regulations keep changing year after year as well because in 2022 we had the massive aerodynamic overhaul 23 we've got the tires 24 i think we've got a slight power unit tweaky and then 2026 is the massive one that everybody's trying to prepare for. And those are the yeah. complete different power units altogether. And that's yeah. when Audi are coming in, um, which has been confirmed as well. Okay. They're going to feel the team. Andretti and Cadillac are joining forces. They want to be in a year early. They want to try and get a, a leg up on the old power unit regulations. But it's, gonna, it's just changing so much that you, you're right. It's just too chaotic. And you can never get to the point where things have calmed down and you can see why... Like you can start to see the effects that the FIA visualized when they brought everything in. Yeah. Yeah. It's not necessarily bad for it. I kind of find that exciting. Um, yeah. To if, As a small aside, I used to play, do you know the game League of Legends? Yeah. Uh, I used to play League of Legends for like over half a decade, I'll admit. <laughs> and uh, it, it, it had this feeling for me that they were trying to sort out an equal balance between champions and all this stuff um and that we just hadn't hit it yet but we're like heading towards perfectly balanced game and it would be perfectly fun no matter who you played and everything it would be balanced but after like five six seven years of them continuing to introduce new things new items new champions in the same way that formula one is going with everything constantly changing you kind of i i got the sense that they're not 
trying to achieve balance they're trying to just shake things up like they're doing the opposite of what the player thinks that they're doing they're trying to keep things interesting by continually shaking the box full of marbles <laughs> i was like i don't think i want to be in this box anymore <laughs> but yeah i think formula one it, it hits a little different and i kind of like the shake-ups i mean it keeps everybody on their toes and the winners will rise to the top yeah but then um, in the parallel as well if you don't end up doing something like that if you don't regulate it the rich keep getting richer the poor keep getting poorer and we just see the same same old same old every year and yeah. you don't get anywhere with that that's just not really appealing to watch which yeah it's what they've been like the fia especially have been trying to implement they're trying to be make things more entertaining mm -hmm. more sort of what they feel like gripping for the fans and stuff yeah but sometimes it goes the wrong way sometimes it helps keep things in order you, you, you can never win with stuff like this. That's absolutely a fair fact. Like, no matter what decision, there's so many fans with so many different, you know, cultural backgrounds and opinions and things. Somebody's going to be happy. There's going to be a whole faction of the fan base that is pissed off no matter what change or not change. Like, there's going to be people pissed off if you don't change things. <laughs> um, one, one last thing I wanted to ask is facilities in this conversation of cost cap and wealth of teams and resources poured into each season and race, um, how much do facilities count for that? I, I, I know that McLaren is having a new wind tunnel being built and other teams have already had some large facilities and other, you know, Williams doesn't necessarily have the facilities that other teams do, but there's still regulations on wind tunnel time. And do you put a lot of weight on like how built out facilities are or how does that fall into this whole conversation? Well, you can sort of see like the who is obviously the better teams because they they don't get they get more money to spend, but the the best part is they get less time in the wind tunnel and stuff like that to develop it. Yeah, yeah. And say if you're like a Haas or a Williams or you're finishing smack last in the championship, you get the most time. So they yeah. do rig and they they split as well. They take a, a section of it away to say, right, this is what we're putting on development, this is what we're putting on the car, like upgrades yeah. and stuff. This is what we're putting on, on catering, seven million over whatever. Um, yeah. No, they, they do heavily regulate it and they have time constraints and stuff. I don't know quite what that accounts for in terms of the overall cap. I think it's something like 20, like 5%. I think it might be come up with a quarter because you have like sort of major areas that you're splitting, like I just said. You say, right, you go there, you go there, you go there, you go there. And they'll split all that up. Mm. I don't know if it, like, you... That's one of the areas, I think, that you absolutely can't get away with overspending on. Because with Red Bull, they only got a slap on the wrist for overspending, but because that was on food, that doesn't improve the car, that doesn't improve the performance. Right. Unless yeah. they're giving them, like, PEDs or whatever, but they didn't know. Right. Um, and, <laughs> but it, I'm sure that the penalty would have been a lot harsher if they had overspent by $7 million on car development and manufacturing. I'm sure of that as well, yeah. I, yeah, I guess what I'm trying to parse out is, like, so if you have your own wind tunnel... Does it make a difference whether you're using your own wind tunnel in your own building just down, you know, on your same campus as all your other office buildings? Or if you have to cart the car to somewhere else, like, is it really just like the difference in transportation or like, can you dial in settings so that your your limited hours that you have in the wind tunnel count for more? Like, what is the advantage of building your own wind tunnel in the first place? Because it's a very expensive you, endeavor. You, you can test a lot harsher conditions 
and you've got obviously more freedom to do what you want like we need you can go up to like your head of r&d and go right we need to make it this setting to test out this conditions and like this environment or whatever mm-hmm. you might not always have that freedom if you're using another one i see and they the, the person you're borrowing it off say they might regulate it so you might not always get maximum effectiveness out of it so if you're using your own you have that freedom to go right now we're doing this in an hour we're going to do this in yeah. two hours we're going to do this when you might not always have that I, I was thinking a little bit about this and one thing that, I mean, I, I don't know aerodynamics like somebody who's, you know, works in that field or anything. It's super, super complex from a physics I standpoint. I you've done like an hour long video explaining it all. Well, I know, but like, that's just wings and it goes so much deeper than that. <laughs> but um, I, I was thinking, so like, you know, it's run by a big old turbine fan or something, right? That just blows a, a shit ton of air down a tunnel and your car is sitting in that tunnel um but can you get like snapshots because i feel like if you had let's say you had an hour allotted could you do like 10 second pulses like it takes some amount of time to ramp up the fans and get up to speed and then you get your data and it has to get up to full speed to get true data i would i would mm-hmm. say like to simulate the actual speed you need but I was thinking like if you were borrowing somebody else's facility or not very diligent or smart about how you were using your wind tunnel time, maybe you just like, you know, flip the switch on and then you just leave it on, collect data for 10 minutes and then you would, you know, open up DRS and see how that, but the wind tunnel will be on for like that full hour. Maybe you don't have control over that. Whereas if you had your own tunnel, and you had control, you could do like a pulsed kind of setup where it's not like, you know, super fast mm. pulses, but like a 10 second interval at a time and just be extremely diligent about what you're checking each time. I feel like that would be an advantage to having your own wind tunnel because nobody's going to kick you off of it. You can just run it for 24 hours with different engineers doing different pulsed setups. And you could just extract so much more information out of the same amount of raw hours of it being fully on. I don't know the details about that. I would love to interview an engineer that works on the any wind tunnel of any team. If, if there's somebody watching, I would absolutely love for you to reach out to us because I have so many questions. I guess it just depends on how good the wind tunnel is. Because if you've got a really bad one that takes a lot longer to get up to speed, you're not going to be able to do it. But if you've got more, yeah. like, not more money to spend because we've just discovered, I discussed cost cap. Mm-hmm. But if you've got the abilities and the equipment necessary to make a better one, then yeah. you could get it up quicker. You can sort of go here and then like within a minute you're here, whereas it, others yep. it, it take like five minutes to get there. So yeah. you can sort of do it. I don't think it'd be within the same like amount of time. It, you had to set aside a little bit longer for that, for, for like that data extraction or whatever. But it, I think it, you could still do it, I think. Yeah, I yeah. So I. I uh, I wonder if there will be anything coming out about like, you know, particularly smart usage of like fractionalized segments of wind tunnel time. The What put that into my mind is Christian Horner said sometime at the beginning of the season, I, I would never be able to go back and find this, but in some interview, he said like a half a comment within a sentence of smart usage of wind tunnel time. And that just like set my mind ablaze because I was like smart usage because it's so regulated. I just, for me, it had been like on or off there's a certain number of hours and I was like, dang, yeah, no, there is so much room to play with things. If you actually think about the engineering that goes into wind tunnels and, you know, just raw amount of hours is all that's regulated. There's so much to play with there. 
we just spent the last like 10 minutes sort, like talking about it as if it was like a full-on in-depth in topic. Red Bull, my CV's in the email. Right, yeah. All right, we'll move on. I'll take a, I'll take a hint. So I have some hot takes that I'm not coming down on that's my opinion, but I want to just throw out there and just watch them burn in the center of the, in the fire pit of our conversation. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> First hot take is... Um, I'll phrase it as a question to protect myself. Is the Aston Martin car actually as fast as the Red Bull cars? And the reason I toss this out is Alonso is not in his prime. He's a fast driver, but he's not in his prime. He's what, 41? And Stroll is, he's a good driver too, but he's no Norris. He's no Verstappen. Uh, he's no Leclerc. So do you think that these cars are actually more on par with each other than we're seeing? And it's a driver difference that's making this up? Well, I, do, I still don't think it is as quick. If it were as quick, I think Alonso would be a lot closer than he is. I mean, he's still, don't get me wrong, he, he, although he's not in his prime, he's still one of the best drivers on the grid, in my opinion. I really, really like him. I really like watching him drive. But with Stroll, I don't know if, I can't remember if I mentioned this last week, but if you take the daddy's money pressure off him and, you know, he can do whatever he wants and keep his seat anyway, take that away, he can win races. He's good enough, I genuinely believe. To, to challenge for race wins. We saw in Turkey when he took pole. But I don't think the Aston Martin is as quick, especially considering they've only had like one winter to make that leap. Sure. If they keep going at the trajectory they're going, can they beat Red Bull? Yes. But yeah. I don't think that they're there at the moment. And they just haven't had enough time. They said, Lawrence Stroll said they have a five-year plan to competing at the front. I think they're in year wow. three of that at the moment. And if this is year three, when they're only qualifying three, four tenths off the Red Bull, I'm yeah. very excited about what's to come from. Yeah, I, I, I'm I, super looking forward to Aston Martin dethroning the Red Bulls. <laughs> All right, no one saw yeah. that coming, eh? Yeah. No, yeah, Ooh. last year, if anybody would have thought Aston Martin actually would be this competitive, even just this season, like you say, in year three, I would have been like, uh, I don't think so. <laughs> There's no way. Um, okay, next hot take, and this one might be hotter. I don't even know if I believe this. It's just a thought that came to mind. Is Yuki Tsunoda actually one of the best drivers on the grid right now? Because where he's putting the, that AlphaTauri in comparison to, uh, in comparison to where DeVries is putting that car, <laughs> which DeVries is not a very good benchmark, maybe. Like that's the that's at the moment. Not to throw too much hate towards DeVries, but admittedly he has had better performance in his past. That's kind of like a floor benchmark. But is Sonoda better than we think he is with where he's putting that car? I That reminds me of a very funny TikTok I saw from FP1 Will. And he said that, oh, it's nice that Red Bull are caring so much for the environment by making that put all their spare and disused parts as AlphaTauri. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All the recycled parts are going recycled. into that team. But no, with what Sonoda has had to drive, I think he's absolutely doing a lot better than any of us could have possibly expected. He's one of the most consistent drivers on the grid, I think. I think maybe even maybe the third most consistent behind Max and Alonso because the Ferraris haven't been. We saw yeah, they've gone right. from third in Baku to seventh in Leclerc, third in Baku to seventh in Miami. Yeah. And if you got the results here in Bahrain, yeah. 11th, 11th, 10th, 10th, and 11th, yeah. that's a very good string of results for the machinery he's got. And you've yeah. got Sonoda's like up here, just keep mm -hmm. going across, and then DeVries is like up, then down, and up, and down, and up. Yeah. So with what he has to drive, he's working absolute wonders. Yeah. I don't quite think he's one of the best drivers on the grid. I think that's a little bit of an overstatement. 
but yeah, he could with the right development. And if he eventually, if he goes to Red Bull, oh my God, I would look so, I would be so excited to see just because that, that that gives him a platform to show us what he's capable of, which I don't think he's really had in F1 just yet. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I particularly have enjoyed him um, being team leader of of uh, AlphaTauri. We talked about that a little bit, but it's just it's really seemed to do wonders to his confidence, and that translates to to you know on track performance. So I enjoy Yuki Tsunoda and his performance each weekend. Um, okay, so then uh, I want to test out something new. Let's if 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 you are willing. I would like to to start a new Ollie and Joel award for each race weekend of best radio message. So I, I put a couple down in our notes that we're following. I think I've chosen the one that I like the best. Um, and I, don't, I didn't write all the notable ones down. So maybe there's some others that you know, but what is your best radio message for this past week? Absolute best was from Fernando Alonso. And it was when he said that that was a nice um, move by Lance going into turn 13 or whatever it was. I was watching the race. <laughs> and that is the most Fernando Alonso thing you could possibly get. Is <laughs> He's just chilling. He's just, yeah. It's almost as if he's transformed himself into Kimi Raikkonen for a second. He's gone, no, just racing, just driving, looking up at the TV, checking how the race is going. Nobody else does that. And yeah. that's, just, that's just Fernando Alonso in a massive nutshell. There was yeah. that. And then it's that sort of like joint top with the other one where he absolutely slammed the Alpines in free practice saying, oh, this is their racing. They're racing in free practice. It's like, I forgot about that from our old friends and stuff like that. He just, he doesn't care. He's throwing all the shit. Yeah. He, he said, this is their moment, right? Yeah. This is their moment in FP1. <laughs> I forgot all about that one. That's a great, great one. Yeah. Um, Okay, so my best radio message was uh, was Logan after he qualified, and I don't want to hate on him for this, but it was just such a comical moment. He comes in and he says, "Did I make it?" And the engineer, his engineer, had to say, "Uh, no, we're twentieth, P twenty." <laughs> and that being said, as comical as it was, I had to put myself in his shoes and. Um, you know, use my empathy muscle. And I was like, you know, they're not watching like we are as an audience. We're not, they're not seeing the times roll in. And you really Alonso don't is. know it. what Alonzo is. is. Yeah. But nobody else is quite doing that. <laughs> Alonzo is, you know, he's clicking for his uh, onboard driver in yeah. FTV button. He's you a know. sky glass on Sky Go customized what he is. <laughs> yeah. Right on his steering wheel. He's just like, oh, good overtake. I'm going to go ahead and watch that. Um, but yeah, I, Logan Sargent, that was a really funny message, but I, I also, I don't want to like, you know, come down on him for that because if I were in there, I have no idea where I qualified and he thought he did a good job and there's a lot of, um, he, he wanted to do well, so well, so badly on this track. I don't know. Like it just happened to be a little bit of an embarrassing message, but like, whatever, you know, he's a rookie and he doesn't know really where it came in. So like he could have just as easily asked that question and it not have been P20. It just, it's whatever. So really funny, but um, Logan, I, I hope that uh, you do get to show that you're a really, really good driver to all your hometown friends, because I mean, freaking A, man, you're in Formula One. So like, even if you're in the back of Formula One, you're ahead of literally every other driver <laughs> in the world. 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, you want to do another award? Let's go for it. Okay. Yes. Um, driver of the weekend award. I know you're going to say Max. And I'm going to be a bit different. Mine would be Max, but for the purpose of entertainment and for me being a little out there, yeah. I'm going to go for Nico Hulkenberg. Nice. And it's it's very weird because he didn't improve on his qualifying position. He actually dropped to 15th. But he just showed so many glimpses of, massive glimpses as well of, he's a, still a very good, very consistent driver. I think he held the Mercedes along with Kevin Magnussen back for ages i mean he gave lewis hamilton a fight and yeah was he he was the main race for lewis hamilton and he struggled and when you've got lewis hamilton struggling to get past the Haas, if uh -huh. you know it's got to be a pretty good driver in the in the cockpit of the Haas. so i'm gonna go with nico hulkenberg just because he showed glimpses of what he's fully capable of and it, it looked more like he did you know in his prime like sort of prime nico and he, he brought us back to that so i'm gonna go for nico Nice. Yeah. And like you say, I'm going with Max. It's begrudgingly. I don't, uh, this is not like, I'm not a Max fanboy. I'm kind of the opposite. And so this race really, uh, shook up my whole perspective and I was really hoping for something different. And I really had thought Max had become overrated to an extent and he really proved himself back in my mind. So maybe the only time this season, but I'm going with Max because that was just an incredible performance. He just tore through that grid. It it was insane. Um, it was like everybody was standing still. And he, he yeah. what was it by like lap 15, 17 or something like that? Like yeah, he, he was, was already in the podium place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, all right. I concede. I'm down. <laughs> yeah. Stop yeah. it. These are, we want someone else to win, please. Yeah. Yeah. It's at the point now where I genuinely think Red Bull could win every race this season. Just, you don't see anybody that could just match them, even match them, like not even be better than them. I would have said that was a really tall order earlier on in the season because a lot of teams had updates that they were calling quite significant. I think there's still updates left and there's still going to be lots of changes and there's a ton of races left. But at this point, we've seen some um, significant updates and we've seen the season get on enough that I, I don't know that's not an impossible thing that's not an impossible no, I think outcome there need to be some issues in the red bull camp for that to happen because with everyone at their best at full strength like as they are mm -hmm. i still don't see anyone beating them yeah i think i think that's entirely possible uh i'll put you on the spot because i didn't put this in the notes has there been a season where one team won every single race do you do you know no, I I, I know this, but there has been uh, that in 1988, McLaren were like the, the top dogs, and they won 15 of the 16 races that season. The only mm, one they okay. didn't win was Silverstone, which Gerhard Berger won in the Ferrari. Mm. But for every and that was the iconic, you know, Senna and Prost teammate like partnership. Yes. Yeah. And that is the closest anybody has got, and that is still statistically to this day the most dominant car in the history of Formula One. Yeah, Senna and Prost partnership. I don't know if I'd use that word, but yeah. Well, teammates. <laughs> they weren't really friends. They were just like, yeah. acquaintances. Yeah. Interesting. So if they do it, it would be a first. It would be sensational. Oh, yeah. Let's see. What else? We kind of ran through the main topics, but let's make sure we hit some things. So like, okay, so Ferrari. Science did better this weekend than last weekend. It's kind of nice to see him return to a bit of confidence. Um. Uh, 
I mean, yeah. I don't think he's quite there yet. There's still a long way to go, especially even for Ferrari as a team as a whole. But they're slowly making little baby steps just up the field back again. They showed it in Baku. They didn't really show it in Miami, but Imola's next year. That's their race, along with Monza. But Imola is like the, the home of Ferrari. They've I got see. to do something there. I think that could either be help them a lot or it could be very counterproductive because then they'll have all that pressure and it's like, oh, 99% of the people here are cheering for us and if we don't perform for them, who else can we perform for? And that might weigh on them a little bit, but I, see. Know, I, I like so the direction they're going in. So Imola is Ferrari's race because Italy and because heritage and because fans and, and expectations and because or the because the headquarters in Maranello is like five minutes away. Ah, so they run on that track? Yeah, no, they have their oh. own private testing track actually okay. in, in Maranello. They're the only team that has that. Okay. All the teams oh, really? use, I think Silverstone's the most popular one. AlphaTauri mm. use Imola because then their base isn't that far away either. But no, they're the only team that, that has their own private testing track and that just speaks to the history of the team yeah and it yeah it speaks to the they siphon off a little bit of money directly from the fia every season regardless of where they finish right like a couple yeah. hundred million dollars just automatically to ferrari for inventing the damn thing yeah. <laughs> I, I i like that uh yeah and leclerc i mean it's it was a little bit of a messy performance i think i mean just even outside of qualifying he just didn't quite pull it together but that's obviously not to toss him out um altogether it's just one weekend and he was i feel like a little bit off his game i don't know why do you do you have any like immediate explanation as to why he wasn't as strong this weekend and we saw just like I, so much performance before i just think it might be track specific okay because there were races last year where he didn't look good and then there were races last year where he looked like a well beater but I think it's track specific, and once we get to Imola, I think he will do a lot better. Okay. Won't win because it's Red Bull there again. You know they're not just sure. gonna <laughs> miss, give a miss that one, even though they probably could afford to. But, no, <laughs> yeah. it, it's 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 just you know you've got bad luck here and then good luck here. Your car's not as good here, but it's very good here. That's just what that is, I think. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, because because he did blow up qualifying like that, I kind of expected him to make his way up, but it didn't happen. So. Um, let's see. Any other drivers or teams you want to shout out? Particularly good or bad performance. Um, I really liked it. Oh, for bad performance. Oh, yeah, was, either I way, either was, way. I was gonna say because Haas surprised me this weekend. I think they did very well. Williams yeah. let me down a lot, but I don't think that yeah. it was kind of expected because we saw in Baku they did oh, like they did very well with Albon, especially because that's mm -hmm. a very like straight line orientated track. Miami isn't. And Williams have they historically have never done well with corners. It's always been in a straight line. I think they still hold the record for the quickest ever straight line speed in, in Formula One. Is that right? Yeah, with Valtteri Bottas. I think he, I he, he broke that. And he went like something like 238 miles per hour. Wow. Which is just insane. You never get that wow. anymore. But, back, <laughs> but in that era, it was just about making the cars go as quickly as possible. They didn't care about following. They didn't care about downforce loss. None of that. It was just mm. the quickest car possible. And that's probably played a little bit into that. But it's just Williams and they've always been very good in a straight line. I see. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that about covers it. Anything else that I missed? I don't think so. I think we covered everything. I think so, too. 
Yeah. All right. Well, next week we'll cover a look ahead at Imola, even though we kind of touched on it a little bit here, but we're going to do a little bit deeper dive into maybe what we would hope to see or expect to see. Um, and uh, stay tuned for that. Once again, if you've made it this far with us, thanks for watching and uh, consider buying a piece of merch, support your favorite team and um, use our link in the description below. It would really help. And see you next week. Bye. Thank you.